Part One, Chapter Seven of *The Pride of Yenico*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. *The Pride of Yenico* by Edgerton and Agnes Castle. Part One, Chapter Seven. I must have stared like a madman, for very fear of my own violence, I dared not move or speak mademoiselle ottilie or to call her by her proper name madame de yenico very composedly removed her veil from her hair pushed back her hood and withdrew the hand which i still unconsciously clutched then she turned and looked at me as if waiting for me to speak first i said in a sort of whisper what does this mean it means monsieur de yenico that for your own good you have been deceived there was a little quiver in her voice was it fear was it mockery i thought the latter and the strenuous control i was endeavouring to put upon my seething passion of fury and bewilderment broke down i threw up my arms the natural gesture of a man driven beyond bounds and as i did so felt the figure beside me make a sudden abrupt movement i thought that she shrank from me that she feared lest i i basil yenico would strike her a woman this aroused me at once to a sense of my own position, and at the same time to one of bitterest contempt for her. But as I wheeled round to gaze at her, I saw that whatever charges might be laid upon her, and God knows she had wrought a singular evil upon me, the accusation of cowardice could not be part of them. Her face showed white indeed in the pale light, her features set, but her eyes looked fearlessly into mine. Every line of her figure expressed the most dauntless determination she was braced to endure ready to face what she had drawn upon herself this was no craven rather the very spirit of daring in god's name i cried why have you done this and did you think she said looking at me i thought with a sort of pity that princesses out of fairy tales are so ready to bury lovers of low degree no matter how rich or how gallant oh i know what you would say that you are well born but for all that princesses do not wed with such as you sir every drop of my blood revolted against the smart of this humiliation stammering and protesting my wrath overflowed my lips but this deception this impossible insane fraud what is its object what is your object you encouraged me you incited me confusion i cried and clasped my head i think i am going mad her serene highness thought that she would like to see me settled in life said my bride with the old look of derision on her face i seized her hand it was the princess's plan then i asked in a whisper and it seemed to me as if everything turned to crimson before my eyes she met my look and it must have been a terrible one with the same dauntlessness as before and answered after a little pause with cool deliberation yes it was the princess's plan the carriage drove on through the rain, and again there was silence between us. My pulses beat loud in my ears. I saw, as if written in fire, the whole devilish plot to humiliate me for my presumption. I saw myself as I must appear to that high-born lady, a ridiculous aspirant, whose claim was too absurd even to be seriously dealt with. And she, the creature who had lent herself to my shame, without whose glib tongue and pert audacious counsels I had never presumed, who had dared to carry out smiling so gross a fraud to wear my ring and front me still 
How was I to deal with her? These were the thoughts that surged backward and forwards in my mind, futile wreckage on stormy sea, in the first passion of my anger. You know, I said at last, and felt like a man who touches solid earth at last, that this is no marriage. Her countenance expressed at this the most open amazement and the most righteous indignation. How, sir, she cried, has not the priest wedded us? Are we not of the same faith, and does not the same church bind us? Have not we together received a most solemn sacrament? Have not you, Basil, and I, Marie Ottilie, sworn faith to each other until death do us part? You may like it or not, Monsieur de Yenico, but we are none the less man and wife as fast as church can make us. As she spoke, she smiled again, and looked at me with that dimple coming and going beside the curve of her lip. As they say men do at the point of some violent death, so I saw in the space of a second my whole life stretched before me, past and future. I saw the two alternatives that lay to my hand, and their full consequences. I knew what the audacious little deceiver beside me ignored, that it rested upon my pleasure alone to acknowledge or not the validity of this marriage. Let me take the step which as a man of honor I ought to take, which as a Yenico and my uncle's heir I was pledged in conscience to take, it was to hold myself up to universal mockery, and I should lay bare before a grinning world the whole extent of my pretensions and their requital. On the other hand, let me keep my secret for a while and seemingly accept my wife. The whole point of the cursed jest would fail. Let me show the princess that my love for her was not so overpowering, nor my disappointment so heart-breaking, but that I had been able to find temporary compensation in the substitute with whom she had herself provided me. There are more souls lost, I believe, through the fear of ridicule than through all the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. My resolution was promptly taken. My revenge would be more exquisite and subtle than the trick that had been played upon me. I would take her to my home, this damsel whom no feeling of maidenly restraint, of womanly compassion, had kept from acting so base a part, and for a while at least, not all the world should guess, but that in winning her my dearest wish had been accomplished. Afterwards, when I had tamed that insolent spirit, when I had taught this wild tassel gentle to come to my hand and fly at my bidding, and I smiled to myself as I laid that plan, which was full as cruel as the deception that had been practised upon me, and which I am ashamed to set out in black and white before me now. Afterwards, when I chose to repudiate the woman, who had usurped my name through the most barefaced imposture, if I knew the law both of land and church, I could not be gainsaid. I had warned her that this marriage was no marriage. What could a gentleman do more? A sudden calmness fell over me. It struck me that the laugh would be on my side after all. My companion was first to speak. She settled herself in the corner of the carriage, something like a bird that settles down in its nest, and still with her eyes, which now looked very dark in the uncertain light, fixed upon me, said in a tone of the utmost security, "'You can beat me, of course, if you like, and you can murder me if you are very, very angry, but you cannot undo what is done. I am your wife.' She gave a little nod which was the perfection of impudence. She was like some wild thing of the woods that has never seen a human being before, and is absolutely fearless because of its absolute ignorance. I ought to have pitied her seeing how young, how childish she was. But though there sprang into my heart strange feelings, 
and that dimple tempted me more and more there was no relenting in my angry soul only i told myself that my revenge would be sweet and i was half distraught i think between the conflict of pride disappointment and the strange alluring charm that this being who had so betrayed me was yet beginning to have upon me the speed of our four horses was slackening we were already on the mountain road which led to my castle there was a glimmer of moon again the rain beat was silent on the panes and i could see from a turning in the road the red gleam of the torch-bearers whom i had ordered for the bridal welcome the monstrous absurdity of the situation struck me afresh and my resolution grew firmer how could i expose myself a poor tricked fool to the eyes of that people who regarded me as something not unlike a demigod no i would keep the woman she had sought me not i her i would keep her for a space at least and let no man suspect that she was not my choice. And then, in the ripeness of time, when I would sell this old rook's nest and betake me home to England as a dutiful nephew, why, then my lady princess should have her maid of honour back again, and see if she would find it so easy to settle her in life once more. What pity should I have upon her who had no pity for me, who had sold her maiden pride in such a sordid barter for a husband? This was no mere tool of a woman's scorn, no contemned by her i had wooed played with no doubt i had been but i had seen enough of the relations of the two girls not to know well who was the moving spirit in all their actions this lady had had an eye to her own interests while lending herself to my humiliation thinking upon it now with as cool a brain as i might and once i had settled upon my resolve the first frenzy of my rage died away I told myself that the new Madame Yenico lied when she said it was altogether the princess's plan, and indeed I afterwards heard from her own lips that in this I had guessed but a third of the actual truth. And now, as we were drawing close to the first post where my overdocile and zealous retainers were already raising a fearful clamour, and I must perforce assume some attitude to face the people, I turned to my strange bride and said to her, do you think then it is the right of a husband to strike or slay his wife if so i marvel that you should have been so eager to enter upon the wedded state she put out her hand to me and for the first time her composure wavered the tears welled into her eyes and her lips quivered no she said and therefore i chose you monsieur de yenico not for your fine riches not for your pedigree and here the little demon it seemed she could not refrain from a malicious smile under the very mist of her tears but because you are an englishman and incapable of harshness to a woman and so said i not believing her disinterested asseveration a wit but with a queer feeling at my heart at once bitterly angry at each word that betrayed the determination of her deceit and her most unwomanly machinations and yet and yet strangely melted to her it is reckoning on my weak good nature that you have played me this trick no sir she said flushing i reckoned on your manliness and then she added with the most singular simplicity i liked you besides too well to see you unhappily married and the other orderly would have made you a wretched wife i burst out laughing for by the manes of my great-uncle the explanation was comic and she felt her laughing too my servants must have thought we were a merry couple and as she laughed and i looked at her knowing her now my own and looking at her therefore with other eyes i deemed i had never seen a woman laugh to such bewitching purpose and though i was full of my cruel intent and though i dubbed her false and shameless 
and as deceitful a little cat as ever a man could meet yet the dimple drew me and i put my arms around her and kissed it as my lips touched hers i knew i was a lost man the next moment we were surrounded with a tribe of leaping peasants the horses were plunging torches were waving and casting shadows upon the savage laughing faces if i had cursed myself for my happy thought before i cursed myself still more now but the situation had to be accepted and the way in which my bride blushing crimson from my kiss she who had no blush to spare for herself before this night adapted herself to it was a marvel to me as indeed all that i was to see or learn of her during our brief moon of wedded life was likewise to prove i am bound to say that the princess herself could not have behaved with a better grace than this burgher daughter amid the wild peasants and their almost eastern fashion of receiving their liege lady within a little distance of the house it became impossible to advance with the carriage and we were fain to order a halt and alight all in the stormy wind and proceed on foot through the throng which had gathered thick and close about the gates and which even schultz's stout cane failed to disperse my wife i did not call her so then in my mind but now i can call her by no other name my wife passed through them as if she had done nothing all her life but receive the homage of the people she gave her hand to be kissed to half a hundred fierce lips she smiled at the poor women who clutched the hem of her gown and knelt before her the flush my kiss had called into being had not yet faded from her cheek there was a light in her eye a smile upon her lip as i looked at her and watched i could not but admit that there was no need for me to feel ashamed of her that night i had sworn to give my bride a royal reception and a royal reception she received schultz had generously carried out his instructions we sat down to a sumptuous meal which would not have misbefitted the emperor himself i could not eat the acclamations and rejoicings struck cold upon my ear but the bride enigma to me then as now sat erect in her great chair at the other end of the great table and smiled and drank and feasted daintily and met my eye now and again with as pretty and as blushing a look as if i had chosen her among a thousand the gypsies played their maddening music the music of my dream and the cries in the courtyard rose now and then to a very clamour of enthusiasm schultz with a truly german sentimentality had presented his new mistress with a large bouquet of white flowers the smell of them turned me faint i knew that in the great room beyond all illuminated by a hundred wax candles was the portrait of my uncle stern and solitary i would not have dared to go into that room that night to have met the look of his single watchful eye and yet oh god how are we made and of what strange clay what would i not give now to be back at that hour what would i not give to see her there at the head of my board once more what is all the world to me what all the traditions of my family what even the knowledge of her deceit and my humiliation compared with the waste and desolation of my life without her end of part one chapter seven